0: 21 years ago today, our nation suffered an attack unlike anything else we've ever known. It was not just an attack on life and property, but on our freedom. And I know that because of the way that the nation responded in the weeks following that dreadful day, which, just like the attack on Pearl Harbor, will live in infamy. And so in the United States, when September 11th falls on a Sunday, you can't Not talk about this. you remember where you were? Probably kind of a silly question. Brett encouraged us to think about that earlier. Uh, Most of us do. Uh, Some of you weren't born yet. Certain members of our praise team weren't born yet. Others were just little babies then. In just a second, I'm going to give you a chance to share with those around you where you were, what was happening with you on that dreadful day. Parents, you might want to share with your kids. You all want, want to sh- lean up a row and talk to this crew down here. And we need to recognize in a church as, uh, you know, essentially a multicultural as Chapel Rock, that we've got some people in our fellowship now who didn't live here 21 years ago. They weren't Americans yet then. And so if you happen to be seated near one of them, I would encourage you to be extra curious about their experience, uh, seeing it maybe from the outside. But we're going to take a second and and share our experience. I think that that's just part of how we should remember this day, right, is to retell that story. And then in a little bit, I'll tell you mine. So take a second and share with those around you where you were when the towers fell. I know that, I know that I'm probably stopping some of you in mid-story, and I apologize for that. It, this is, I, I think that this is an important thing. So like, when we're all done today, if, if, I, if I'm stopping you right in the middle of the like you were just about to the good part, you know, uh, be sure to gra- grab your, your neighbor uh, right after the service and, and talk to them. Uh, finish the story, so... I was preaching revival for my friend and, and college accountability partner, Aaron. It a little, little town, little farming village uh, northeast of St. Joseph, Missouri. We would kind of worked this out in advance. I drove up there and preached on Sunday, normal Sunday crowd. Preached on Monday. There were like nine people, and I think somebody brought their dog. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> not many and then Tuesday morning, we were sitting in the office kind of thinking through, okay, how do we get out into the community and invite people to come? We'd put it out on the church sign. and Aaron's wife called, and she said, you need to come over to the house right now. And we're like, "What? what's going on? She goes, come home right now. Um, the parsonage was just across the street. And Deb and the kids and I were staying in a fifth wheel that they'd pulled up in the driveway of that house. Kid, I should say Emma was the only one who was born. She wasn't even a year old yet. And we sat in the, that fifth wheel and watched on a television screen about this big, one of the Twin Towers on fire, and then watched as the next one was hit and, and stood transfixed until they both fell. And we later found out that the Pentagon had also been hit. And there was another plane that was probably on its way to the White House or some other important site that went down in a field due to some heroic... People. Um, So we quickly reshaped that meeting that night into a prayer meeting, packed house. Some of you remember that. Churches were full that next Sunday and for weeks after. You remember what happened in the days and weeks following? (laughs) There were more flags out than the 4th of July. Everything just kind of slowed down during those weeks. Because it had to, right? You can't go anywhere. No one's afraid. I mean, everyone's afraid to travel. Like, we're not leaving. You know, we're not going anywhere. Everyone's a little bit kinder because we had 3,000 fellow citizens whose lives ended unexpectedly. We don't know when our last day is. We better live everyone like it could be the last one. Five weeks after that happened, Deb and I got on a plane to head to... California. We're going to fly from Tulsa to Sacramento for some church planter assessment and training. Uh, we would very soon leave our ministry in rural Kansas where we were to go move to Billings, Montana to start a new church. But we were, we, we, for five weeks after September 11th, we flew. And for the first time in my life, in the flesh, I saw American soldiers with, with M-16s in the airport at Tulsa. And it, it messed with me. This is this is not supposed to happen. This is America. We don't we don't other countries do. We don't do this. And I was made very uncomfortable when the soldier at the airport needed to make sure I was not a risk and searched my person. Wasn't invasive, but I was deeply uncomfortable at the way I was being touched. And in that moment, I realized this is not just a loss of life and property. This is a loss of freedom. And so on the 21st anniversary of that day, and, and th- as I reflect on that and the weeks that followed, I think the passage that we're going to consider this morning, this September 11th, 2022, takes on a whole new aspect. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Matthew 6.13 is our primary text today. Thank you for being here. For those of us joining us online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. It takes a little extra work for you to do church online. And I want to encourage you to do that extra work, right? So to fill out your online connection card, to be active in the chat, to really just engage, help us disciple you digitally. Again, if you're here in the room, thanks uh, for coming out this morning. Take a second and and fill out your connection card. Kyle encouraged you to do that earlier. Uh, That really helps us um, care for you better. Today we're finishing up this series through the Lord's Prayer, also called the Model Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, and we're going to talk about freedom today on September 11th. In this prayer that Jesus gave us, he teaches us how to find freedom in prayer. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from our enemies. We're going to look at that today. He gives us a prayer template about how to experience true freedom and how that comes through our prayer life. See, here's what I want to tell you this morning. You will have nothing to fear from yourself or the world when you learn how to pray. If you learn how to pray well, you won't be afraid again. And I don't know about you, but on September 11th, that resonates in my heart because I remember that day. So I want you to be thinking about why and how that's true as we look at our text together. Let's look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Remember, this is part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In this final phrase in the model prayer, Jesus teaches us, I believe, how to find freedom through prayer. And on a day when we commemorate a fundamental shift in how we as Americans have experienced freedom over the last 21 years, our hearts naturally turn to thinking about such things on a day like today, I believe that we would do well to listen to Jesus on how to find true freedom through prayer and how to really be free. This freedom, I think, is experienced two ways. First of all, this prayer helps us find freedom from ourselves. This helps us find freedom from ourselves. The enemy, uh, the first enemy, rather, of our freedom is the one that lives within our own hearts. (laughs) It's like that old saying, we have met the enemy and he is us. The, The enemy is implied in the phrase, lead us not into temptation. It implies that there's an enemy out there trying to stop you from experiencing it, right? Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, lead me not into temptation, I can find it for myself, right? And there's some truth in that because all of us have this inner propensity to seek out temptation in our lives. Now, I want to be clear here. In using this phrase, Jesus is not suggesting that God is walking us around like a dog on a leash and walking us into temptation. That is not what he's saying. Okay, I, I want to also draw your attention to something that the brother of Jesus wrote in, in James. In James chapter 1, uh, the, the, so Jesus' half-brother, James, writes, When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, in James 1.13. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You, never in your life has God tempted you. He may have tested you. He didn't tempt you. James writes, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. What he's saying is, you have a saboteur living in your heart. You have a traitor living inside you. In his letters, Paul calls it the flesh. It's the the as of yet unredeemed part of your heart. It's the part that, that resists God's redemptive work to make you like Jesus. What this first phrase means is that we're asking for protection from the temptations against which we already know we're weak. And we're asking God to help protect us from those places where where we know we could fail and fall. We're saying, Lord, protect me from the temptations I already know I've got so I don't blow it. See when we pray this prayer we're admitting that there's something in our hearts that doesn't want to please God. Paul talks about this many times in his letters. If you want to understand Paul's own struggle with this, read Romans 7. We don't have time to get into it today. Go home and reread that. And Paul, he talks about this battle. This is the apostle Paul. He talks about this battle that exists in his heart. He's the, the, the good I know I want, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil that I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. This is Paul. Like he literally talked to Jesus on the Damascus road. Depending on how you understand some of the later stuff in Acts, may have spent daily meetings with a risen Christ in the desert for years being instructed. This is Paul, and he's saying, yeah, I don't don't do it right all the time. (laughs) Paul calls this the flesh, this thing that we struggle with. Now, is God's redemptive work in you effective? Yes, but you're still broken by sin. It's this weird thing that we kind of, it's this tension that we live in. So Jesus, because of that tension, Jesus gives us this prayer so that we will find freedom from that part of ourselves, right, that that wants to rebel against God. And what we find is that prayer helps us because through prayer we get supernatural strength to resist our innate urges to disobey God. It is through the work of prayer that you get supernatural strength to resist that part of you that wants to do evil. See, we... Because of our fallenness, we have this tendency to think that we can handle it on our own. We, we figure, well, I'm, I'm, I'm different, right? I, uh, I, the, the, these seeds of evil and violence, they're not going to grow in my heart. You know, I'm a good, decent, church-going American. I'm, this is going to be fine. Oh, really? Great. Yeah. A lot like Peter, aren't you? <laughs> Peter was one of Jesus' best friends. And Jesus tells his disciples, tonight you will all fall away. And Peter says, not me, not me. I'm in it with you, Jesus, no matter what. Suffering, death, torment, I'm there. He grossly overestimated his ability (laughs) to withstand temptation or grossly underestimated its ability to tempt. He says, I'm in it with you. And Jesus is like, you won't make it through tonight, Peter. Peter. Anybody here in, in here like Peter? And grossly underestimate temptation's power in your life? Have you ever said those words? Well, I'd never be tempted to fill in the blank. I've said those words. And you know what? I find myself thinking about that blank a lot after I say that. And wrestling through that, I find myself thinking about the very sin I thought I was immune to. Jesus gives his disciples this prayer so that they can find freedom from the traitor and the enemy that lives in their own heart. So, how does that work? I think there are a couple ways. First is that this prayer frees us when when we pray against that which is tempting us by God giving us self-control. The the way that this helps us is is that God gives us self-control. I want you to look with me at Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes to the Galatian church, so I say, live by the Spirit, notice capital S, right, Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, the flesh, that part of you that struggles against God. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. If you have ever in your life felt like, why can't I just do the right thing? It's because of this traitor that lives inside you. Right? But Paul goes on to write in verse 22 and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So when the Spirit is living inside you, this is what he grows in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We are promised by Jesus that the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, and when you accepted Christ, you got the Spirit. You got all of it you were ever going to need. There's no secret sauce. There's no magic bullet. There's no extra dose of the Holy Spirit. When you gave your life to Jesus, when, when you surrendered your life to him, you confessed him as Savior and Lord and were baptized, you received the Holy Spirit of God to live inside you, he takes away your sin and he begins to grow this fruit in you. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you have a source, a wellspring of self-control. God wants to grow that in you. And so in these times when you are tempted and you pray, lead me not into temptation, what you are doing is appealing to the spirit that lives in you that is helping grow self-control in your life. It doesn't refer to the elimination of our desires and passions. The word simply means mastery over one's desires. It doesn't refer to the elimination of them. It refers rather to a spirit-powered ability to to allow the the grace of God as expressed in you to restrain that. And I want you to notice that this prayer is, is neither completely dependent on God or completely dependent on you. Here's what I mean by that. Paul is not telling you to bootstrap it. He's not saying just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He's not saying white knuckle it. Like, come on, you just try harder. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, in front of you all, in front of everybody watching online, I fundamentally reject Avis Christianity. You know Avis, the car rental company? Remember their slogan? We try harder. It doesn't work. Trying harder isn't enough. Your willpower is a fantastic tool. God created it. He put it in you. It's like a muscle. And the, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. But, but I, don't, I don't care how strong you are. You know these strongman competitions? Have you seen these things on ESPN 2 or 6 or how many they have? I don't know. Sports. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but they, you know, these guys, they're, just, they're huge, right? They're just mountains of human flesh. And they pick up these stones that are the size of the boulder in my front yard. And it's amazing. And then they fail. These guys, when their car breaks down, they can just pick it up and drag it home. And until they can't. And your willpower is like that. By using it, you can make it stronger. It will eventually fail. You need the Holy Spirit of God to work in you. That's the only way this works. And so when you pray, lead me not into temptation, you are appealing to the Spirit of God that is alive in you to help you do this listen to me, Jesus is not saying, you know, just, you know, you got to figure this out on your own, but neither is he saying, well, just let go and let God. He's not just saying, oh, don't worry about it, and it'll all work out okay. That's not what he's saying. God is not leading, God not leading you into temptation presumes that you are willingly following him where he is leading you. If you're going to pray, lead me not into temptation, it implies that you will follow him where he does lead you. And he's calling us into a life where we receive strength from the Holy Spirit that we don't have on our own and, and, key word here, where we make the choice to use that spirit-given strength to resist our own inclination to sin. So prayer frees you by growing self-control in your life through the power of the Spirit. The second way that prayer frees you is by showing us the way of, to escape in the face of temptation. Paul writes something really critical in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. He writes this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Paul reassures us that all human beings share this experience. The writer of Hebrews says in, chapter, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. And I want you to think, Church, it's so important that you think about this. Because some of you have been tempted with things I have never faced. I have, I have no way to, to um, you know, sympathize with you. I haven't felt the same thing. I, I can't. I, like, I just, you've been tempted with stuff I've never faced. And maybe I've been tempted with stuff you've never faced. And so if you're sitting there and you go, Crazy, how could you say that? You don't, you haven't walked in my shoes. I get it. I understand. But Jesus has. The text says he's been tempted in every way in Hebrews 4:15 just like we are. There's no temptation you've ever faced that Jesus didn't master and live perfectly because of his surrender and submission to God. And so this verse is a wonderful comfort to me, right? Because here's the thing, every temptation I have ever faced in my life, Jesus faced and he beat it. He won. It and so when you ask him, help me fight it, he knows what to tell you to do. That comes through prayer. This verse really comforts me, it also very much disturbs me. Carl, can you put it back on the screen again? Look at this He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. What's the implication of that? Every temptation I have ever given into, every sin I have ever yielded to. God thought I could handle. All God's people said, Ouch! In case he didn't tell me I was going to have to wear my steel toe boots today, you are stepping on my toes. He'd been stepping on me all week, y'all. Jesus stood fast. And if you want to stand fast in the face of temptation, the only way you're going to do it is with him through prayer. That is it. Your willpower might, it might take you way down the road. It will fail. That muscle will give out. <laughs> so God is not the author of our temptations, but he does limit them. The, the Bible tells us he makes sure that there is a way of escape. And, and there's, you, you can pull the ripcord, right, and get, get out of there. And I believe that comes as a result of prayer. You know, it, 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 do not think you can just handle all this on your own. You can't. You, you will fail to see the way out when it comes. God will provide it, though. That's what this text says, that he, and he tells you, pray about it. Ask for it, right? It, it might it, say, how do I do that? Well, it might literally be running from the scene, like Joseph did in Genesis, right? Potiphar's wife. Literally run away. Out of here. I can't be here. Bye, you know. It might be calling a friend. Sorry, I did this. I'm, so, I'm, I'm old. I do this. So for you young people, it might be calling a friend. <laughs> You're like, I am really, be- I'm to do this. I'm really being tempted right now. You need to stay on the line with me so I don't do something stupid. That's okay. That's a way out. There's always a way of escape when you pray. God, the second way prayer frees you is he shows you a way out. See, the first enemy of our freedom is our own self. It's that part of our heart that rebels against God. Prayer gives us the strength through the Holy Spirit to resist those temptations. But that's not the only enemy we have. It's not the only enemy of our freedom. It's not just you. You see, we also need to find freedom from the enemy. (laughs) We have freedom from ourselves, but we also need to find freedom from our enemy, Satan. I, I, I said before, I think that some of the biggest enemy of our own walk is, is us, right? We'd sabotage our, ourselves. but we also have an enemy who is mighty. He's not ultimate, only God is ultimate, but he is mighty. God is stronger yet, but our enemy is not weak. He is not powerless. And that's really what Jesus, I think, is talking about in the latter half of Matthew 6:13. Deliver us from the evil one. Now some older translations say just deliver us from evil, but I think here it's very much in the, the Greek is, is pointing to the fact that this is personal, it's a personal evil, that, that, that evil has, has, you know, a personality, and it's the devil, it's Satan. The Bible consistently teaches that there is such a being, a real being as Satan, or the devil, a fallen angel Lucifer, or whatever name you want to put on him, and he's got plenty. From the serpent in the garden in the first book of the Bible to the dragon in, you know, at the end of the Bible in Revelation, right? From all the way through, all 66 books point to this personal being. And you need to understand, he is God's enemy. He's not an equal enemy. God is, vast, is infinitely more powerful than Satan. But he is his enemy. And he is against and hates everything God loves. What does God love? You. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son to die. He loves you. What's that mean? Satan hates you. He does not want, he's going to hell forever. He'd love to drag you with him if he could. Don't listen to his voice when he tempts. See, one of the interesting things that has come out of our commemoration of September 11th is that prior to this day, there were a lot of people in our culture who were saying that Satan is just a metaphor for evil, not not, not real. It's been interesting to watch them change their tune over the last 21 years. Like, oh, wow, there there has to be some some kind of force-giving impetus to what happened on that day. So what we find in this Second half of our prayer for freedom is to be free from another kind of enemy. You see, in prayer, we find victory over the forces of evil in this world. Prayer becomes for us the place where we experience delivery and victory from the powers of evil that that run all through our world. And these powers of evil are not just abstract concepts of evil. They go back to a real devil who is at work with numerous fallen angels, his demons in our world. And the the devil and his agents are experts at exploiting human human weakness and human behavior to further their own evil ends. I want you to think about this. Regardless of what you think about biblical timelines, if you view them as very literal, if you, regardless of what you think about it, we know that there's at least 6,000 years of recorded human history. Right? At least. That means that the devil and his agents have had 6,000 years to learn how to tempt us. You think you could get pretty good at something if you practiced for 6,000 years? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we pray, deliver us from the evil one. We're saying, God, I am up against a force that feels a lot bigger than me. It's not bigger than you, but it feels bigger than me, and I need help. So how does that help us? How does it help us fight the enemy? A couple things. First of all, prayer helps us by exposing spiritual attack. When we pray, we understand the spiritual battle that we're in. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes, If there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Someone in that church had hurt him, and Satan was trying to use it to divide the church. And Paul says, I have forgiven him. Right? And then he writes this, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And with all due respect to the apostle, I want to be like, really? Because it kind of feels like we are sometimes. Like totally checked out, clueless, not even realizing what the enemy is doing in the world until it blows up in your face. Now, it's really interesting because in this, this is so cool and I'm, I'm grateful to God for showing this to me. This verse, this part of the prayer begins with the word and. And lead us not into the temptation. Well, what was just before it? The prayer about forgiveness that we talked about last week. I don't think it's an accident that it starts with the word and. And Paul is telling us here, I have forgiven this guy so that Satan might not outwit us. If you want to resist temptation and you're holding something against somebody, you're not forgiving them, you're just going to get pounded with it until you let that go. And is there for a reason. (laughs) There's, Carl, could you put that back up again? 2 Corinthians ten 2, 11, rather. Look at this last verse. Um, Yeah, in order that Satan might not outwit us. There's a translation of the Bible called Hawaiian Pigeon, P-I-D-G-E-N, Right, it's, like a Poly- it's a Polynesian trade language. <laughs> and if you look up this verse in Hawaiian Pigeon, it says, Satan's one sly bugger. <laughs> yeah. And so part of the reason that we pray is to understand his schemes, to get divine insight so you see, oh, this is not just a random coincidence. This is the enemy at work. Paul claims to know what Satan's plans are, and I think that that's in response to his prayer life. When we are regularly with God in prayer, seeking deliverance from the power of evil in our world, God helps us see these situations in our lives from his perspective, and we see the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He helps us discern spiritual attack when maybe we couldn't see it before. And that situation that you're dealing with at work, that is just intractable. You're like, I can't figure out why this is so problematic. It's because the enemy is trying to ruin your witness as a Christian in your job. And that argument that you just keep cycling on with your spouse at home, and you just keep arguing about and you can't figure out why it's such a problem. It's because the devil is trying to derail your efforts to disciple your children. We have an enemy. He hates you. You have an enemy. And if you want to see what he's up to, you better pray. Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. So prayer helps us expose the spiritual attack. The second way it helps us is that it gives us the power to resist evil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I'm concerned about about an era in the church's life when we have forgotten that we're actually supposed to fight. We're actively supposed to resist him. You you will not make any progress in your faith by ignoring him. You're supposed to fight. You're supposed to resist. Now, on our own, apart from God, we're not much good at it. Right? Hollywood loves to show us movies of human beings going up against demonic forces and winning, right? Right? As for the movies we need God's help to do this and so Jesus tells us to pray deliver us from the evil one we're no match for it on our own but with his power we can fight right this is why we're told to give ourselves completely to God to submit our lives entirely to him and only then can we take a stand against the devil if you try to battle him in the power of your flesh you will fail Jesus said, though greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when you battle him in the power of the Spirit, you will have victory. You'll win, and that comes through prayer. Prayer gives us victory by equipping us with resources to combat evil. In Ephesians chapter 6, I I don't want to take time to read this, but in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about putting on the full armor of God, right? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, and what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word and prayer. Prayer is your weapon to fight the enemy. God has equipped you. And here's the amazing thing, and we don't have time to go into this. Oh, church, it's so rich. Your armor is modeled on his. That is in Isaiah. Go back and reread Isaiah. Yes, all 66 chapters. It's good for you. (laughs) Our armor is modeled on the armor God wears. And and we use the weapons he gave us, prayer and word, to fight the enemy. I told you earlier about my accountability partner, Aaron. I was with him on September 11th. For a season, we had a weekly accountability call. We did it in person while we were in school together at Ozark. And then once life took us into various ministries, me in southwest Kansas and he in northwest, North, sure, southeast Kansas, he in northwest Missouri. We just called the phone. We, 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 you won't understand this at all, 10-10-321, it's cheaper, right, long distance call. Hit 1010321, we talk on the phone for an hour. Then he took a ministry in New Zealand. There was no 1010 code for that. So we stopped because that was an expensive call. (laughs) Like we maybe won't talk one time. And we would say, How are you doing? And we knew what that meant. How you doing? Had a good week. Really? Mostly, yeah. Mostly? Okay, there was one time. How you doing? We made a weekly call for years. At at least 200 times I had that conversation with my brother Aaron. 200 times! Every time we asked, how are you doing? And not once in 200 phone calls, not one time did did when we said, you know, how you doing? I didn't have a good week. Did you have your armor on? Not once did either one of us say, yup. Not one time. Prayer is how you wear the armor. You put it on through prayer. And so when you pray, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil, that's how you put on your armor. See, when we pray like this, prayer gives us the Holy Spirit's strength to resist the enemy that lives inside our own hearts, and it gives us victory over the spiritual forces of evil in our world, and both enemies are neutralized in prayer. Jesus knew this, and so he taught you to pray like that. And that's how we find freedom. Did you hear me? You will have nothing to fear from yourself or the world when you learn how to pray. See, Jesus gave us this prayer as a template. You're supposed to put meat and bones on it, or meat and skin on it, rather. So do that. When you pray, Lord, I'm I'm facing this temptation this week. Give me a way out. I know it's coming. Help me see the way out. Lord, I'm fighting this right now, and I don't want to do this. I don't want to dishonor you. I don't want to dishonor your name that I've taken on myself. Help me, Jesus, live this way. Help me live your way. And as we learn to put this pattern of prayer into practice, we begin to start praying like the best prayer that ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus himself. Because when his disciples saw him and heard him pray, they said, teach me to do that. And he will teach you if you let him. We're going to have a time of decision. Maybe your prayer life has been weak and anemic. And maybe it's a time of repentance for you today as we conclude this series. To say, Jesus, I, I've, I've been a really lousy prayer. I want to be better at it. Help me learn from you. Take these lessons over the last three or four weeks and root them into my heart. Maybe you're here this morning and this has been convicting for a different reason. You've had a, a, a sin that you haven't been fighting at all. It's just beating you up and taking your lunch money every day. And, and you need to have a time of repentance. You might even want to make that public. I don't know. Maybe you don't have the resources you need to fight temptation because you've never given your life to Christ. And, and you're going to have an opportunity to do it in just a second. We're going to stand and sing. And as we sing, I would invite you to come forward, name Christ as Lord, be baptized, be baptized, and begin to have the Holy Spirit come into your life and give you that resource like you never had before. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and we're gonna to sing together and you respond as God leads you. If you need prayer, you come and we'll pray with you.